Welcome to Caffeinated Living, a podcast all about Jesus, ministry, and the things that keep us going. I'm Kyle. And I'm Rob. And we're back for episode number 14. Yes, episode 14. So, uh, today's episode, we have another special guest with us. Uh, We have my pastor, Mr. Scott Frady. So, Scott, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yes. And not only is he our guest today, but it is also his big birthday. So, happy birthday. 35 never felt so (laughs) (laughs) So, there you go, 35. Happy birthday. Plus 15. Yeah. Okay. Well, we weren't going to say the age. We're just going to say it was your birthday and say happy birthday. So, episode 14. So, Kyle's got some uh, interesting sports numbers, people who wore number 14. Yeah. Scott, who do you think... Because I couldn't think. I had to Google this because I couldn't think of one either, but most famous number 14. Pete Rose is the only one I can think of. Oh, See, he's okay. already further than we were. Oh, yeah. If and you gave him a minute, he would probably guess this one. I would agree. Him. I would agree that Pete Rose probably is the most famous. But Should Google, be in the Hall of Fame. Google gives another answer, another baseball player as the number one. Also, he is in the Hall of Fame, this guy. Yes. Who do you think? I'm not pulling that one. I don't know who that is. When you hear it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember, I remember seeing that. Ernie Banks. Okay. Ernie Banks. I don't know if I would have known that. Mr. Cub. Well, he yeah. was a good player. You know who number two is, though? Basketball player. This one's hard. Really hard. In the Hall of Fame. Bob Cousy. He is a number 14. Bob Cousy is, but no, Oscar Robertson. Yeah. Oscar Robertson. There we go. That's even a little before my time. So. Yeah. <laughs> but there's no really current 14s. I can't. I think the most current one that it showed was Andy Dalton. So that just shows there's not many current 14s that are. Was there ever another 14 in football? Dan Fouts, um, Y.A. Tittle. I'm just spitting this off. It's because I looked it up, not because I know it. But, yeah. Yeah. So, well, there you go. There's there's your famous number 14 quiz for today. So, no, uh, today's episode, Kyle and I have been doing Pastor Appreciation this month. So, uh, the first week we brought in a couple of our buddies, and then last week was Kyle's pastor, uh, Pastor Gordon, so he came on to speak with us. So this week we got on the hot seat, uh, Pastor Scott with us. So, Scott, one reason I wanted to ask you, um, you and I are in a unique situation. Very. Um, when, when I think about it, so those of you, if, if, if you're just now listening or if you don't, if you don't know us, um, Scott has been the pastor here at West Hickory for 15 years, and I have served as the associate pastor here for 14 years. So that's that's a long time when I think about mm-hmm. that. That's that's a long time, yeah. especially when you think about the average stay for a ministerial staff is 18 months now. Mm. Is it really? Man, that is so sad. I could remember just a few years ago, it was like three years. 18 months, wow. I, I will say, and th- th- this, this is choking, obviously, but um, I know that our church recognized us yesterday for pastor appreciation. Mm-hmm. Um, our deacon chairman got up and he recognized us, but then he went to go get the gifts. So when he went and got the gifts from his wife, he has this big suitcase-looking thing, this big <laughs> bag. And I looked at Scott, and I was like, is that a suitcase? Are they trying to give us a hint? <laughs> it's like, you know. So I was a little concerned at first, yeah. but no. Uh, so, Scott, no, we are grateful that you have joined us today. So we just want to begin just uh, just share us a little bit of how you came to know the Lord, a little bit 
of your story and how it led to where you are right now. And we got some questions that we're going to kind of throw in there at you. Okay. Well, I grew up in Charlotte and um, grew up in in a home where uh, I had a parent who was quite devoted to the Lord, loved the Lord, and I had another parent that was not really interested uh, in the Lord. There had been some some issues where they had felt burned uh, by people in the church, this sort of thing, and so they were not really really with it um, and and didn't really go to church. And so when I got to be the age where I didn't have to go, in other words, where the one parent couldn't really force me out the door, I stayed in and slept in and hmm. watched NWA wrestling and <laughs> all that good Sunday morning stuff and um, didn't go. And that continued for several years from maybe about the time I was nine or 10 years old until I was a teenager. And my parent, who knew the Lord and was walking with him well, uh, began to put things into my hands, gave me uh, a Bible to read that was a little easier to understand, gave me some uh, kind of apologetic-type material. It wasn't really detailed, but it was just kind of accessible where I could understand, hey, the Bible does have some uh, rhyme and reason to it. There is some, some worth there. So I began to be interested in it, and I started reading the Bible on my own every night. And, um, you know, some people talk about putting bad things they're looking at in a hiding place in their room. Well, I was actually putting my Bible in a hiding place in my room because I had older brothers. I didn't want to be ridiculed. Wow. didn't want to be ridiculed by my other parents. So I would put that bookmark in there and set it aside each night, and then I'd read a little more. And so I'd actually read through a lot of the Bible um, in that in that year so looking back on it now it's obvious to me that the, the lord was doing things in my life he's beginning to draw me to himself but the um the real key event for that was was my parent invited me to go with the church youth group to the beach for a beach retreat and I heard the word beach and didn't think much about the retreat <laughs> part, and so we hadn't I hadn't been to the beach our family didn't take a lot of vacations so I hadn't been to the beach in I think eight years before that. So this was a golden opportunity. Yeah. I wasn't going to let it pass. So I went and enjoyed the the beach. But in that time, the Lord also worked through the Bible teaching of our pastor as he kind of went through verse by verse. And actually, one of the books that was instrumental was the book of Ecclesiastes. He went through the 12th chapter. You know, the chapter tar- mm-hmm. talks about remember the Creator in the days of your youth. And he began to go through uh, all of those truths there and unfold those verses and uh, God began to work and mm. I understood during that time the truth of the gospel you know that I was lost in need of a savior and uh, when I came back from the beach I trusted in the Lord and um, made that known to the church a couple of weeks later and was baptized and really from the beginning of my Christian life that desire and hunger for God's word was very strong and I found myself having a voice that I'd never had before. Hmm. When I was a young child, I never talked to other people, especially adults, even other kids. I was the, there was one kid in our school who was quieter than I was. <laughs> I was the, if, if not for him, I would have been the, the butt of all the jokes and all the bullying. <laughs> of, of quiet. But there was one kid that was quieter. I was super quiet. I'm still kind of a laid-back personality, but uh, the... The Lord, in relating to him, knowing him, 
I began to have a voice that I didn't have before to talk about him. So I'd talk about him and talk about, became interested in other people more. And um, so God did things in my heart. I could tell very obvious that he was at work. And so uh, over the course of time, other people began to see that change as well. And the pastor of our home church um, gave opportunities to, to speak. Actually, the first, uh, and I actually took an opportunity in high school that I think actually opened a door that I never would have thought about. Our English class in my senior year gave us the opportunity to do a research paper. And uh, I decided to do my research paper for the class, this public school, but I decided I'm going to do my research paper on the resurrection of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go through the arguments and talk about it and then share it with the class. So this was like, I'm going to take this opportunity to share the truth with this class. Never would fly today. (laughs) But they were were open and free at that point. You could do, and other people did some other stuff that's kind of out there, you know, so it wasn't. So it was allowable. You know, it was my choice, and they let me make that choice. It's the way things should be, but mm-hmm. they're not anymore. You're right. So, but the the pastor got wind that I had done that for my research paper. So he said, why don't you preach this or present this cool. to the church <laughs> on a Sunday night? So I did that. And in the congregation, there was a lot of recognition of this is something that God's given you a gifting in. Wow. And it was not a kind of every nice little grandma in the church that wants a preacher boy <laughs> kind of thing. It wasn't that. It was like right. I felt like it was genuine, and it was like there was a recognition. There's something there that God's doing in that particular way. So uh, I began to serve and be involved with the church and um, continued to to help and to teach and to learn and to grow. I had a lot of growing learning to do. But that really began the pursuit of, of um, ministry and wasn't really sure what that would look like and um, didn't really settle on anything. I think God kind of opened doors and led, led the way along the way. Um, but I went to Columbia Bible College, now it's CIU, for, for the purpose of preparing for ministry, not knowing exactly what I would do. Uh, and graduated, got married, met my wife there. That's a very common Bible college story. Um, <laughs> but I met my wife there, and, and we got married, and, and we worked a couple of years in Columbia. She finished a degree in teaching so she could get certified for teaching because she's interested in that. And then uh, we found out about an opportunity to go to China and work with a school there. So we went there and did that for three years. And after doing that, teaching the Bible to students for weeks on end and years on end, I recognized I needed more training still. And so we came back to Columbia and I did a, a seminary degree. And um, and so then the end of that, I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I thought about going back to China, thought about other other things, but I ended up going to Spartanburg and teaching in public schools, but teaching the Bible at a program where you could use a study hall with your parents' permission, you could come out of school and you could be taught the Bible. And we could teach openly, you know, the gospel, whatever. So so once again, I'm teaching the Bible week after week to students. And after having done that for about three or four years, I just began to feel God working in me to say, maybe you need a broader, or maybe you should aim at a broader 
scope of people. In other words, uh, adults. You know, yeah. there's. Uh, I was also doing part-time youth ministry in a church, and that was a rewarding time too. But I had had some opportunities in that church to preach, and again, the response had been very good and very positive and very kind of almost people saying, this is what you need to be doing. Hmm. And so I was hearing that, and I was also feeling that at the same time. So um, I began to put feelers out, and through... A member of this church, here's the way God works, a member of our church here now, West Hickory, was related to the pastor of the church where I was serving as a youth minister. Wow, that's cool. So she was at a family reunion with him, and she said, hey, we need a pastor. Why don't you come be our pastor? And he said, well, I'm happy where I'm at, but I've got this youth pastor (laughs) that might be interested. And that's how we got connected. And we interviewed, and it was a good connection, and so we've been here ever since. So... I didn't plan any of that particularly, but I I think the only thing I'd say about what I did was I put myself on the path of following God and trying to sharpen the gifting I thought he'd given me. Hmm. And so I think that's a good path for us to take. You know, as one missionary leader told me in China, as I was pondering going to seminary or not, I was talking to him about it, and he said, you know, silly kind of crazy illustration but it it made a difference to me then he said um, if you can be a ram's horn or a silver trumpet be a silver trumpet you know take the steps of preparation necessary for a lifetime of ministry Mm. that's the way he put it and Mm. that stuck with me so Mm. even though that didn't mean for me doing 12 more years of schooling it meant you know a couple more years of schooling and then on to other things I still think there's a lot of wisdom in that for a person that's not in an official ministry capacity right now. There's a lot of value in just saying, keep your face to the Lord and keep your feet in that direction. Mm-hmm. Keep following him and let him open the doors he's going to open. And if he never opens doors, you can still be used wherever you're at. Yeah. So don't don't lose heart in that. That's good. Uh, but the plans that God has for us are never the things I don't think that we could plan for ourselves. I think they're better, you know, but we we couldn't make it up usually. We couldn't come up with a better thing than what he does most of the time. So. Okay. And 15 years later. Yeah. yeah, and 15 minutes later, as you'll find, long-windedness, <laughs> long-windedness is a gift here. Yeah, so. I didn't know that about China. That, that's awesome. Would you ever go back to China? Yeah, I think... If, again, this is one of those your steps versus God's steps right, things, right. but I think that I think that one of the areas of need right now in the world is to strengthen pastors in the emerging world right. to teach and preach. So that would be something I'd love to do, yeah. be a part of. You know, not to say, oh, I'm such a great preacher, but right. just say, let me come alongside you and encourage you and, and give you some help, you know, and... and um, walk with you i think that would be a great thing so i don't know that could be something that could be done on more of a short-term basis and from place to place or it could be longer term well and you actually got to do that a few years ago yeah yeah a little bit to haiti yeah yeah do a little short-term trip there and that was that was good i think it was really unusual because most of the groups that go to haiti are coming for physical relief so it was very our group was very odd there were five or six of us different some laymen, some preachers, you know, just getting together and going. And uh, the focus there was just 
totally on discipleship mm. and disciple making. And so we were just there teaching. And it was like they were almost, I think, kind of taken aback by that. But I also think some of them saw the value in that. Mm. Yeah, so that was good. So along the way, and maybe even currently, are there any, I mean, we're really big on seeking mentorship, seeking brothers in the ministry. But in your I, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to put a year on it or an amount of time. But are there any men or leaders that have really helped shape where you are today in the ministry? And it could be current. It could be former. I think you. To me, you have to think about mentoring in two ways. Mm. One, you're mentored by people you actually know, and two, you're mentored by people that have gone before you. Mm, that's good. And so. I've been mentored by Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. I've been mentored by Spurgeon. I've been mentored by by Lloyd Jones. By lots of godly men and and women who've gone before, who have written um, valuable things mm. that help us in the ministry. Uh, and then also the pastors that I have come up under were, uh, you know, mentors and helps uh, to me. Um, I think for pastors a great risk a great a great uh danger is isolation mm-hmm. um that and i've been guilty of that you know and kind of a more reserved personality more introverted uh so i would rather be mentored by the puritans than by somebody today because it's just less messy you yeah know, it's easier you don't actually have to answer them when they ask you those convicting <laughs> questions you can just kind of but i think there's value in both and I think it's something I need to pursue more, uh, and yet also I've found another avenue for help that I'm not sure pastors always take advantage of, and that's uh, our own church family. Mm-hmm. I've found tremendous friendships and blessing in our own church members, and and I think that's really hard because some will teach you, you know, some people teach you, well, pastor, you need to have kind of an elevated mm you know, approach, don't play favorites or don't, you know, don't have too many close friends in the church because people can turn on you or whatever. And, you know, that's true sometimes. I've had experience where you feel like that can happen, you know, but it's worth it to not shut yourself off from your church members, to still pursue friendships. Hmm. And um, some of the most meaningful friendships in my life have been church members. Hmm. And those folks, even though they're not officially in what we call ministry, they have wisdom to share that we can underestimate as pastors sometimes and just the life experience that they've had. And um, so I value the friendship of church members greatly. Mm. That's good. We could have a whole podcast on that. There you go. Yeah. One one thing you said... um, and this, this is actually one of my questions, so I'm, I'm going to throw it out there to you. But I pre- I'm pretty sure I know how you're going to answer this. You, so you can't give me the political answer out of this. <laughs> so who would be one of your favorite theologians and why? Hmm. That's a tough one. I think that whatever I answer here... I want to be careful (laughs) that it's not misconstrued. Okay, what I mean by that is this. 
I think oftentimes I'm helped by theologians with whom I do not entirely agree. Huh. Okay. And the reason for that is because they cause me to think in different ways, huh. and they sharpen my thinking. Now, I'm not talking about, like, outright heretical right. people. Right. Yeah. But in some circles today, there's kind of a circle of, a, of acceptable teachers, you yeah. know, and the circle's pretty tight. And if you don't fall in that circle, then you're suspect. <laughs> so I'll give you a person, okay? This will get me in trouble. If, if anybody listens to this and comes back to me, it could get me into trouble with, with people here or there, I'm sure. Uh, I, I think uh, Dallas Willard has a lot of valuable things to share. Hmm. And I've benefited greatly from thinking after him in reading. I don't agree with everything he says. I don't right. agree with all of his conclusions. But I've been helped by him. He's hmm. a teacher, a theologian I've been helped by. Hmm. Okay, Other people I agree with more fully, though not on everything, um, I've been helped by as well. You know, but but that's an example of someone that I think there's value in being sharpened by people that we might not agree with on every issue or that we might have some some differences with. And I think Tim Keller, I I wouldn't agree with him on his view of creation. Hmm. I, I don't fully agree with his view of social action, but his teaching about idolatry. Right. It's very helpful, very useful, very, very helpful to me. You know, his, his, his teaching in other areas is very helpful. So there's another person that, okay, he's he's got some things I, I would sharply disagree with, but I'm helped by him in other ways. So, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of teachers like that that I find um, to take to just be challenged yeah. by them is is good and. And there's lots of, of the older older teachers that I find, you know, very helpful. I think uh, Richard Sibbs, uh, the Puritan, um, Thomas Manton, the Puritan. Those, those Puritan teachers really meditated on Scripture. And some of them are really hard to read, but Manton and Sibbs and... Um, those 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 guys particularly are more accessible, and what what I what I do with them is I feed my own soul with their writing. So you know I just want to go there and and I don't have to read X number of pages a day. I can read one page and mm-hmm. just kind of live in in what they're saying and be helped by it. Um, and and so. They've meditated so deeply on the word that there's almost always something valuable there, whatever you read, you know. Um, so I, I'm drawing a blank on other people, but there's just lots of no, that's lots good. of good ones. That that's one thing that I have absolutely loved about being here with you. Um, obviously. God has put people in my life that have a love for books, love for knowledge. My wife being one of those, obviously (laughs) being a school librarian. uh, But you have greatly influenced and impacted that part of my life. Because I I remember early on, I'd go to your office, and there's all these books in there. I'm like, what is that book? I can't even pronounce those words. What's he reading? You know, it's like, but without you saying, hey, Rob, you should go read this book. Just having it laying around your office 
that that has impacted. Now, I still cannot read some of the things you do and the amount of time that it takes you to read those things. That's the thing that amazes me, too. Mm-hmm. Scott devours a book, and what would take me two years to devour a book, it takes him, like, two days. Wow. Like, yeah, he's he's constantly he's just, it's because you skim. It's your mm-hmm. I, I don't your brain operates on so the other level. I'm an I'm a huge audiobook fan, so it'd be the equivalent of every time I hit the one point five times speed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is it, all of that's kind of trickled down, which is uh, amazing because I can kind of see that from just sitting in here and absorbing the knowledge and hearing from you, but also spending time with Rob and going back to the whole mentorship thing, being brand new into the ministry and kind of feeling like, okay, I need to kind of hear from someone else. And your love for books has gone down to Mm -hmm. him, which has in turn come to me. And sometimes I I still don't love reading, but it's like, okay, I need to hear from someone else. And hearing from other people that you may not agree with, it's amazing hearing Mm -hmm. you say that because it's Mm -hmm. so true. But I kind of want to keep with that momentum for a second. And I just feel like, because I feel like this could be a good conversation, maybe not. But in an ever-changing world where so many churches, I feel like, are fighting for relevancy, where they they have to choose a topic or choose something happening nationally or globally and speaking out on that. I mean, I, I've heard so many churches that are doing series, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, are doing series right now on the upcoming election and what to look for mm-hmm. and what not to look mm-hmm. for. But in this landscape of churches fighting for relevancy, do you think it's important for churches to be fresh, to be trying to be relevant? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I think if you if you are insistent on preaching the Bible that you will be relevant mm. because the Bible is eminently relevant. There is mm-hmm. almost nothing you can go to in scripture that's not going to to be relevant. And of course it's relevant because it touches on our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is our alienation from God. Our problem is that that we're separated from him and that we need to be reconciled mm. to him. And so you can't get that rightly anywhere else. Right. I mean you can get you can get the book of nature and it'll tell you that there's a God and that you you're probably not right with him because yeah. you, you know there's he's all powerful and, and you can look at conscience and it'll definitely tell you you're not right with him and that, that there's something more than just you. But you can't get that message of life anywhere else. Mm. So you've always got that. And I think I don't think it's wrong for churches to think about where are people at? Hmm. What are people dealing with? Yeah. What can we talk to people about? I think that's that's good. But I think where it gets off track is what are we offering as the help in that situation? So we're going to be relevant. So let's talk about uh, the upcoming election. And now let me tell you the way you should think politically. Okay. Yeah. So And if you'll just think this way politically, then that'll solve the problem. <laughs> Well, that's not the issue, right? right. I mean, right. the issue is you've got to be in right relationship with God, and then you live in light of that right relationship. Mm-hmm. And so if we, you know, try to be relevant and ultimately change the message, then we failed. Right. Um, but but it, I, think there's a, I think there's a certain segment that is like so intent, they're so intent about not being relevant that they are harming 
people. Wow. There's a way you can do that. You yeah, know, absolutely. Well, I'm I, you know, my people have have never uh, they've sat through 20 minute sermons for for 40 years, but. I'll tell you what I'm gonna. I'm not gonna give in to relevance. So I'm gonna preach for an hour and fifteen minutes, and and I'm gonna stick to the word, and I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be so. And there's a certain kind of way with that that can be almost like a pride on the part of the preacher. Wow, like yeah. I've got to, I've got to show you that you know I'm in charge, or I've got to, I've got to be faithful to God's word. So I've got to preach this great you know, long sermon. And I, I've talked about the Puritans today and some of the value of them, but we need to be careful. The danger of the Puritans, too, is that we don't want to imitate them, I don't think, exactly in our preaching style. Hmm. Because you can get into some really... They're dealing with the people that were, uh, in many cases, uh, trained to listen, a more listening culture. Yeah. So... They could do some very careful reasoning, some very careful argumentation in the course of a sermon that we could we could probably not do, and it wouldn't help anybody. You know, it's just going to lose people. So, I think there's a balance in that question about relevance, and uh, but but really keeping the focus on the words of Scripture, and keeping the focus on the essential issue of our standing before God and what God has done for us in Christ to deal with that issue. That's the essential part. But but then being aware of where people are at is also important. I'm going to stop talking. Rambling. Yeah, you rambling. Could, you're those, are the, those of you that are listening, you can't see it, but the entire time me and Robert just shaking our head like, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's good. I'm going to try to be more the, concise here. I'm sorry. No. no, no. There will be the, a the time for that in a second. Being relevant. Um one of the things that, again, this is not to come and puff Pastor Scott up with pride. This is not it. But you're just saying certain things that's recalling back to me. You know, one of the things you told me one time that preaching through the Bible is harder, actually, than doing topics. Oh, you know, because with topics, you know, you can, you would avoid certain mm-hmm. verses or passages that the Bible's talking about that. When you're preaching through the Bible, you're actually going to be forced to to talk about those to think more through that than you would normally. Yeah. And so I was like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. I don't like that answer, but that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. There, there's been some doozies that you spoke, to, especially when you were in Genesis. <laughs> those were some good topics on that one. Yeah, that can sometimes be difficult, right? Because you're, you know, well, here we've got to talk about the Levitical offerings or something. You know, what am I going to do with that? But, you know, I think we've got to go back to 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. That second part is so important. Mm-hmm. But it's not only inspired by God, but it's profitable. So that's where that's where I want to camp out when I'm preaching. And I, I'm not, I would never say that the only right way to preach is to preach straight through Bible books. You know, I would say every message should be expository in that every message ought to be dealing with Scripture. It ought to be dealing with the text of Scripture. But I would never say every message has to go straight through a book of the Bible. And I know you're not saying that either. But I think that's that's a helpful thing. I actually think that's a very helpful thing for a young preacher to do is to preach through Hmm. a book of the Bible. Because it forces that young preacher not to just ride his hobby horses. 
Hmm. He has to expand his thinking and think about how does this, what does this mean here in this context? The other issue I'd say that relates to that is when we preach, we've got to make sure we don't preach disconnected from the whole biblical story. Mm-hmm. So biblical theology is really important because if you, and, and one of the things that preaching through a whole book helps you with a lot of times is, is keeping you on track and making sure you're not pulling something out of context. Right. Um, but you've got to make sure that you don't uh, preach in a way that that uh, you're just kind of pulling something out and you're, you're kind of giving your own twist to it. But really, the Bible in its whole message actually says something different. You know, that's something that, that you could easily do. So you've got to be aware of that. So we have, you know, we have people that listen that teenagers, early adults feel called to ministry. Or going back to something you said, what what would you recommend or what would you say to that young pastor that's in ministry? Is there a specific book of the Bible that you would recommend them to begin preach through first as opposed to other parts of the Bible? Like, you know, would Romans be more valuable? Or maybe mm-hmm. if you're new at a church, you start with the book of Ephesians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there one that you would recommend personally? Don't say Song of Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't ventured there yet. Uh, actually, I did a one one sermon on it. Um, yeah, I think the um, I would want to say something first. Young person, young pastor. First and foremost, focus your attention on your own relationship with Jesus. Mm. Seek to walk with Him every day. Seek to grow in prayer and to grow in love for people. And seek to grow in your hunger for God's Word. Your hunger for God's Word not just as a source for sermons, but your hunger for God's Word. Let your prayer be Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water my soul longs after you. And and ask God to give you that longing to be with Him. And let that be the foundation of your life and your the foundation of your ministry. And if that is the foundation of your life and ministry, you'll do a lot of things that are going to be good for God's kingdom. Now, when it comes to what to preach or where to begin in terms of preaching through a book of the Bible, I think a lot of times that could flow right out of that Bible reading. So... One of the things I say that that I believe is this, you know, a lot of people say as a pastor, well, now don't you read your Bible for sermon preparation. Don't do that. And I understand that. I just kind of said that, right? Don't read your Bible just for preparing sermons. But what I would say is read your Bible for your own spiritual growth, but always be aware that in the midst of that, God may give you a sermon, right? In the middle of your quiet time, right? That can happen. So have a piece of paper down or have whatever technology you use, have that availability at hand so that if that happens, you're ready to write it down. And a lot of times you're, you're reading through a book on your own just for your own personal edification will give birth to a series of sermons on that book. And I think that's the best way to do it because it's the most natural. Yeah. You're not just putting something out there while, you know, in April of 2022, I'm going to preach through a piece. 
but you know you're, it's kind of coming in an organic way and a lot of times a lot of times that's a really good thing because I think what you and I've failed in this plenty of times so I'm not in any of this I'm not speaking as an expert I'm just sharing my heart and thoughts I think a lot of times what we want in preaching is to be faithful to the text that's a good motivation for sure but what sets teaching apart from preaching? What sets preaching apart from an essay? What sets preaching apart from, from anything else? I think what the Bible would say, I think it's 1 Corinthians, but Paul talks about the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Mm -hmm. There's something in preaching that God meets us in that. And you've probably experienced that preaching. You've been preaching and you're like, you didn't even study that. And all of a sudden this verse that you had read long ago comes to you and it fits perfectly in that message. Or some illustration comes. And I don't know, sometimes this may just be the flesh because sometimes my illustrations that I didn't write down in my notes are way out there. But sometimes they're really good. And I think, well, was the Holy Spirit involved in that? There's a certain, there ought to be a certain power, a certain spiritual working in preaching, right? So I think that's the the only thing I think really we can have a role in that is just through personally cultivating our own lives and mm -hmm. in terms of our relationship with God. One of the things that's been touching me lately is is Paul's words to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine. Mm -hmm. I think, I think we've got, in our kind of conservative evangelical circles, we've got a lot of people who are really eager to watch doctrine, but we're not as eager to watch our lives. Hmm. We're not as concerned with how we're actually living before God. But we're proud to say that we've got all of our theological ducks in a row. Wow. And that's insufficient. Yeah. The Bible says watch your life and doctrine. Right. Both are necessary. That's good. That's really good. We could just keep going all day. You can just, you can, we can let you just start preaching now. You can. The Scott Frady now, Hour. Yeah, that's a good podcast right there. I am. Uh, I bet your son would be more than willing to start that podcast up. We could have some good meandering conversations, <laughs> that's for sure. I, I will say, you talked about your uh, illustrations. They're not always useless, they're not. However, they do relate to a certain decade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I give some sometimes. 70s and 80s are pretty much. And the sad. problem is, like, there aren't many people in that age group in our church. So I feel like I've really just, like, dropped a bomb a lot of times, you know, because it's like, I'll give this it's illustration the and the older people don't get it because they're too old for it. And the younger people don't get it because they weren't born yet. So it's like, it's just hopeless. So I've learned about that through the years, you know, just to be aware of your, your age groups. So with well, that, what would be your most embarrassing, switching gears completely, but what would be your most embarrassing ministry moment? I mean, if it's in the middle of preaching, <laughs> if it's in the middle of a, a committee meeting, whatever, what would be your most embarrassing ministry moment? I can't really think of one right offhand. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, said, I've said plenty of dumb things, that's for sure, <laughs> and... and and, you know, I think the funniest thing that ever happened in relation to church was the uh, church I was in before the pastor was, was uh, doing a Mother's Day sermon. And um, this is the time in church that I just almost laughed out loud. <laughs> it was so good. It was a good message. 
and he comes to the end and his and his big culminating line at the end was to encourage all the mothers and he said they will have the fruit of the womb as their reward <laughs> as their reward they will have the fruit of the womb as their reward so childbirth right yeah. they'll have childbirth as their reward so he gets to this big crescendo at the end of the service and he says and they will have the fruit of the loom as their reward <laughs> i knew that's where you're going that's, that's hilarious i was like dying laughing i was about to fall over i was biting the inside of my mouth to not laugh out loud and i started getting visions of him handing out underwear packets on the way out (laughs) that'd be a memorable uh experience for sure yeah so i don't think he knew he said it so i didn't tell him (laughs) he had no idea i think probably other people told him but 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 i didn't i didn't tell him I don't think I've ever said any of those things that bad. Not that I know of. I think most of the time our stumbles are things that we end up saying that are theologically incorrect, like, you know, um, thank you, God, for coming to worship. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, we know that uh, you forgive our sins and and forgive your sins or something like that. We'll say something that, you know, we're saying it quick and we we don't realize till afterwards. I can think of one. That's not right. And he's not here, so I don't want to talk about him. Maybe we'll bring him on to talk about it. But the one you, it was either Scott or Rob told me this one summer at camp uh, about Terry in the the middle of a sermon said Jesus was a sinner. I've seen other preacher, preachers do that. Yeah, too. You, sometimes the phrasing is difficult. Like you'll say, right. you'll you'll mean to say something like the sinless savior, and you'll end up saying the sinful savior. <laughs> you know, something like that. My big one I've always tried to avoid. I hardly ever use this word because I'm always afraid I'm going to do it. Sexual immorality, sexual immortality. <laughs> That's a huge difference, <laughs> yeah. right? You don't want to mess that up. Absolutely. But but it's easy. I don't use. I try to be very careful when I'm using that word because it's easy to say something like that. So, those kinds of things are usually my my stumbles, just little verbal slips. All right, I got a couple more questions for you, and then, and then I think Kyle's got some rapid fire questions uh, for you. So, rapid fire is relative, isn't it? That's a relative term. Yeah. Based on my previous answers, that would be interesting. Some of these questions I, I, I have picked out just because I, I love to see your facial expressions. And that I, sounds perfect for a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, so if you're listening, but you know, Scott, you know, as soon as you ask him those questions, you're going to get that look. Um, but no, uh, what's the hardest thing you do on a Sunday? Wow, that's interesting. That's a good question. Um, I think the hardest thing to do on Sunday is going to, I guess it's going to make me sound terrible, but I think it's better to be honest than not. I think the hardest thing to do on Sunday is to be gracious toward everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you go in and you see pews empty. Where are they at? You know, kind right. of, yep. you kind of develop that kind of. You don't want that hostility, but I think that's something that that I need to fight against and want to fight against. Right? Uh, somebody not there, for example, or. Um, somebody just kind of has a sour attitude towards somebody else and you see that you know like you don't want to you know hold them or or somebody sleeping you know (laughs) well you know i want to be gracious right so so maybe i am boring okay or or maybe they're 
maybe they worked late last night or maybe they had a kid up in the middle of the night or something. You know, I just I want to be gracious. And I think that's probably the hardest thing. I like that. On Sunday is I think I want to be gracious toward everyone and uh, deal with everyone in a way that they would say, uh, you know, he dealt with me kindly. Even if I don't agree with how what he said or whatever, I was dealt with in a God honoring way. Hmm. Right. So I think that's the hardest thing, because I think our tendency as people, and this is in the home, this is everywhere, is to have the knee jerk reaction when we see something that we don't think is good. You know, we don't we're not sure about our 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 quick reaction is, you know, sometimes is condemnation. So I just want to avoid that. I like that answer. It's a good answer. It's a good one. So what is the to you? What has been the hardest part of pastoral ministry? A sense of inadequacy for it. Um, On the one hand, I know a lot of people say this, but pastoring is a place where you can be really lazy or you can be really workaholic. You go either direction because you're not directly supervised by everybody Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, So I, I think on one level, if you care you know, if you if you don't really care, you can just kind of go the lazy route and kind of go there until people catch on, and then usually you don't last very long, right? But if you take the more if if you care, uh, you can if you care about the people, you can really carry a lot of burdens um, time wise. So you never run out of stuff to do. You can always do something else. There's always someone else to call. There's always someone else to visit. There's always another contact to make. There's always another sermon to write. There's always something to do. One of my kids the other day was, I think, coming to terms with the fact that I had a job that was somewhat demanding, maybe for the first time. Because they said to me, yes, basically, like, you have to write a research paper every week. (laughs) And and they were kind of struck by that, I think. They were like, yeah, there is some, some difficulty to this, you know, and I... I don't think they always see that. A lot of people don't see that, I think. They yeah. don't see what you actually are involved in through the week and stuff. Um, so I think there's a sense of inadequacy there, of, of you can't get it all done. You feel the burden mm-hmm. of the people's needs, and, and then you see hard things happen. You know, um, people leave your church or they die or, or this sort of thing, or people, their marriages fall apart mm-hmm. or this sort of thing. I think that the the inadequacy and discouragement are the hardest parts of, of ministry and the things that probably I struggle most with is just sadness over, boy, you wish that, wish that the power of the gospel is more active in your own life and more active in the lives of others and that, that more people were seeing victory in their daily living. Um, it's hard that, that we don't see that. It's... it's uh, frustrating but we have to be gracious because you know we we grow i think at least in my case i grow awfully slowly too you know i grow awfully slowly there's i got a lot of progress to make a lot of growing to do so you know i don't want to be harsh but i think that that sense of inadequacy is probably the thing i would deal with most yeah, as Paul says that, right? Paul says that. He says, who is sufficient for these things? And his answer is, he's assuming the answer is no one. <laughs> so, I mean, I think if you feel like totally competent, you're probably missing something yep. in, in the equation. Yeah. 
So I have this question written down. I want to rephrase it. <laughs> Is there a time that you have ever thought about quitting ministry? Yeah, I, fr- I, ha- I had yeah. it written down how many times have you thought about <laughs> quitting ministry, but I, w- I wanted to rephrase it and say, have you ever thought yeah. about quitting ministry? Because, I mean, I know we all have at yeah, one point. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a. I think there's two parts to that question. One is this. Have you ever thought about quitting ministry? No, because I'm a Christian. Yeah. I'll always be ministering. That will never right. stop unless right. God debilitates me for some reason, for one of his reasons. You know, and even then I think he can still use me in some ways most of the time. So I'll never stop ministering. Um, have I ever thought about uh, not ministering in this place or at this time? You know, like every week, practically. <laughs> I mean, there's always that because I think that that sense of inadequacy flows right into that, right? right? I mean, it's like, man, you know, people are really struggling and, and it doesn't seem like anything really that great's going on. And, and of course, all that, a lot of that is short-sighted, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're looking at the surface of things and you don't know what's going on in people's hearts and you don't know what people would have been if they had not been here. You know, so you're, you're seeing so dimly, but still that, that vision that you do have can color your perception of everything. So, so you're kind of feeling, you know, discouraged or, man, it's difficult. So, I mean, if you ask my wife, she'd say, oh, yeah, he says that a lot. You know, I mean, we're always thinking about, well, maybe I should, you know, maybe, maybe this time. And I've been saying that for 15 years. Well, why? You know, part of it's probably pride or probably my own problems. You know, I've got them. Everybody does. Um, part of it's just the need of the church, and it's like, you know, the challenges, the difficulties. Um, but in the end, I've been here, you know, and right. kept going. So uh, kind of worked through that. But I, I would guess that lots of pastors have those thoughts mm-hmm. and wonder those things. and. And feel those feelings and, and think about, you know, maybe it'd be better for somebody else to do this. And, and you know, really, truly, my idea, I think it's not original to me, but, but this, is a, this is a Mark Dever phrase that I've really liked. Um, his phrase is, preach and pray, love and stay. Hmm. It's simple. It rhymes. It sounds like a Hallmark card, but it's really good. Yeah. Preach and pray, love and stay. Those are the things a pastor really needs to do. Preach the gospel. Pray for your people and for your own heart. Love the people. Love the people around you in your community and stay. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my view is, man, if, if they don't want me to be here, and I've told some of our people, you know, if y'all think it's time for a change at any point, let me know. And he said, we will. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it's like almost to me it's like, that's what you should do. You should stay unless the congregation says, well, we want to go in a different direction. And then I think you should accept that as graciously as you can. That would be heartbreaking for any of us, I'm sure. But that, a lot of times, is, you know, what God is doing. And he's not done with you. You know, if you're working in another job or something else, he's not done with you. He's still got stuff to do with you. So I I liked your perspective, though, at the beginning. How you said I'm not quitting being. Oh yeah, I think that's so important. I, I mean, honestly, I, I've never really thought about that. Like you hear people say, "Well, oh, I'm just going to quit the ministry." It's like, well, technically, yeah. you, as a Christian, you can't quit. Yes. So the, I mean, that was the that was greatest, the greatest, the greatest danger for ministers, quote unquote, is to see themselves as ministers. 
quote unquote, and not see themselves as disciples. The, the greatest need for a pastor or youth pastor, any kind of ministry position is to continually remember that your primary identity is that you're a disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You're his follower. And from that identity flows all the good ministry. The good ministry doesn't flow from technique. It doesn't flow from idea books. You know, it doesn't flow from the church gurus. Good ministry flows from an authentic life that's rooted and grounded in Jesus. That's where good ministry flows from. And that's why in the beauty of God, good ministry is so diverse in its expression. That's why you got, like in our church, I mean, how different are we three pastors? Right. We're so different. But God's used all of us in various ways, right? And, and, you know, I'm sure in every church staff situation, you've got differences of personality and approach, but God still uses you because it flows from the life, you know, much more than it flows from a, a, a programmatic kind of top-down, put this yeah. on it. I, I think you can do that, you know, and a lot of churches are seeking to do that. You can kind of put a top-down on it, and you can get some immediate results. I, I think that's true. But I do wonder at times about the long-term sustainability of that. And I do wonder if that's not part of what is owing to our quick turnover Mm. a lot of times. Um, If we see ourselves as people in a career and 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 that this is this is our focus, then we'll put all our focus on just, you know, kind of doing a good job. But. And I haven't always seen it rightly. I don't think I see it fully rightly now, but I do think we've got to go back a step. You know, first and foremost, are you a Christian? That's a good question every minister should ask. Yeah. Am I a Christian? Do I know Jesus, right? Um, am I vitally connected to God? Do I know him? You know, have I trusted him? Could I explain the gospel to someone else? That's a good question for a minister to ask. Yeah. You know, and then from that though, am I am I walking with him? Do I have a relationship with him? And um, and there, I want to say, you know, not a legalistic relationship, a love relationship, not a let me check a box off of Bible reading and prayer, but right. I'm talking to him. You know, let me get my gold seal. Right <laughs> there, it is. So let me get my stamp. Let me get my star. So I don't want to live that way. Right? right. That's not authentic relationship can you imagine relating to your wife that way <laughs> well i've talked to you for my five minutes today now. <laughs> do i get the remote? i don't need to see you anymore today i'm going to leave now yeah you know? and 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 so you know i'm going to listen to you now for five minutes and that'll be it um wow man that's good that i mean think so we want to relate to the lord as our father and friend because that's who he is so, you know, that has been a revolution in my life is that, and this is, this is Willard, but, but it's, it's true. He says, you know, I want my quiet time to last all day. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm. Yep. I like that. And that's Paul too, right? Pray without ceasing. Yep. What does that really mean? Well, I think, I think that just means be connected to the vine. Just stay in contact with the father all through the day. Mm-hmm. So whenever someone comes across your way, if you have the opportunity, you see someone in the in the gas station, you need to pray for that person. Turn turn them to the Lord, someone you talk to on the phone, right? So you have so many opportunities. Um, but I think 
for people in that in that ministry position, that cultivating of that walk with Jesus is the most important thing, mm-hmm. because otherwise, you you if you have that, then I think you have a fountain of life to give, right? If you don't have that, really, you're just going to be a second hander. You're going to yeah. pass on other people's thoughts, yeah. or you're going to pass on, you know, something you read but really didn't affect you. Hmm. And I think all pastors do that at times because sometimes we're worn out or yeah. sometimes things yeah. happen, right? So I'm not saying you're always going to. I think if by and large you have that kind of connectedness to Jesus, it's going to affect greatly mm. the the power of your ministry. I like that. I do too. I like that. I wish that, I was that, taking notes, but I'm glad this is recorded. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, those answers, it makes it hard to transition to these questions that have no meaning whatsoever <laughs> now it's just like i don't even want to ask them but i have to because like i have I, I, I have to so i got two more questions and then i'll give it over to you okay give it over to you all right what is a movie or book that everyone loves but you can't stand Ooh, boy that's good um for myself, it would be The Goonies. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that love that movie, and I just I cannot stand that movie. I'm going to give you a general category because I can't <laughs> think of a specific. I generally dislike animated movies of all sorts. I've just never been a fan of animated movies. But everybody like raves about these, okay. these animated movies, but I've never been a fan of animated movies. Okay. All right. Okay. That's and all I can think of. What is the most unique thing you've ever ordered online? Rob told me this question before. I'm like, <laughs> man, that's a great question. Mm. Wow. I'm trying to think. Um, we ordered boy, a banana know. banana cutter the other day. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> why? Oh, because it's easy. But why? <laughs> so stuff like that just makes no sense, but it makes perfect yeah. sense. That's probably something like what I'd say, some sort of kitchen item that I used once and you know, never used again. Probably some, I don't know if anybody knows what these are, CDs, you know, those, those things you used to play in a CD player. Uh, probably been a CD or two that I ordered that was like, yeah, this really wasn't very good. Not not good music, so... Um, I think there was one that was like Foreigner, maybe? Yeah, I know, I know I that. Thought, Man, that would be cool. And then I listened to it, I was like, oh. I never hey, even made it through the whole album. At, at least you said good. CD and not like 8-track. Or, well, or, you, I know. Mean, you know. I was trying to be relevant. What's an 8-track? Yeah, I'm just trying joking. to be relevant. <laughs> relevant to you, our 40s crowd. You, you say you're joking, but you, and deep down you're like, what's an 8-track? <laughs> I know what it is. I've never touched one. So. Uh, Seriously? Never. <laughs> So, all right, Kyle, I think you had a few rapid-fire questions for, or no, you had his 80s music questions. You know, I've got some questions, and again, you can take these as rapid-fire as you want. Some of them are funny, some of them are serious. I mean, Rob, you can put some serious music here in post. (laughs) But um, we talked about this before we came on here, but what would you say is the best sports uniform of all time? And kind of paint that picture Mm. for people listening. It's tough. It uh, is a, it's a, I'm going to go with the, this is a, dating me as a 70s child, I'm going to go with the Oakland A's of the 70s with the gold and Kelly Green. They had multiple combinations, but the best one was the white shirt, white pants, Kelly Green and gold trim, the green hat, the gold bill. And, and they were cool because 
their coaching staff and their manager wore a unique hat. They wore a white hat with a green Hmm. Green trim, so they were. They had these. They had their own manager caps, which I never quite figured out. But yeah. I thought it was cool. So that's probably my favorite of all time. They they were they were pretty sharp. That's a draft we need to do in future episodes. The best sports uniforms, or baseball, or football, or whatever. That'd be that'd be really interesting. Okay, tough question. I don't know if you're the grocery shopper, but if you could go into a grocery store and only <laughs> visit one aisle every time you went in, what aisle would it be? <laughs> Gotta have my protein, so okay. I'm going to the I'm going to the butcher aisle because <laughs> man cannot live on bread alone. He must right. also have some uh, ribs and uh, hamburger and pork chops. And that's chicken, right. That, I think cetera. that's the best so answer. That's where I would go. <laughs> yeah, I think that is the best answer. So we're caffeinated living. Obviously, we love coffee. Uh, we're a podcast about Jesus ministry. We say that every time, but also the things that fill us up, the things that keep us going so for you what fills you up what brings you life um what, what would those things be yeah i think um i think ministry is life-giving mm. okay so many times like many times i'll be discouraged you know oh things aren't going well kind of the woe is me thing yeah you know if you're old enough to remember Hee Haw, they used to sing this song, Gloom, Despair, and Agony yeah. on Me. Right? Deep, dark depression, excessive misery, right? <laughs> so so sometimes you're in those in those times. If I'll take that time and go visit an elderly person in a nursing home, go visit someone in the hospital, if I'll take that time and go reach out on the phone to somebody who's having a struggle, 90% of the time I'll be lifted out. Yeah. All right. So what fills me up? What brings me life? I think this is just a straight-up scriptural principle, right? The one who wants to save his life will lose it, but the one who loses his life for my sake will find it. So if you, if you give away what God gives to you, there'll be blessing there. Right? There'll be good there. You'll be, you'll be blessed, and you'll be a blessing to somebody else. And I think one of the things that's going to be my philosophical moment here, I think one of the things our modern world is, is, is messed up about our modern world is seeking to find life in happiness when really life is found in purpose. Hmm. And we, f- we find life through having something to do that is meaningful, right? That's, you know, all the way through Scripture, God's sovereign plan is at the heart of everything. So it's like you find life through meaning, right? But, but most of us seek life through happiness. So we run after pleasurable experiences or or you know this thing or that thing and and we end up empty we end up temporarily satisfied but empty right and so i think if we run after meaning if we run after doing something of value then then we end up in a better place personally just in terms of being fulfilled Uh, and i think another part of fulfillment is recognizing that you'll never be fulfilled Mm. Mm. in this world you see as through a mirror dimly, um, you always have that residue of the flesh. You're always going to have those struggles in your life. You're always going to fall short of other people's expectations, and other people are going to fall short of your expectations. I think a part of finding contentment in life is recognizing that the fall is real, (laughs) that you live in a fallen world, and that you will have to wrestle with challenging 
situations and suffering, you know. Uh, again, this is another modern world problem. We don't want to face suffering. COVID's forced us to face yeah. suffering. So if we, if, if our constant goal, imagine this, if, if your goal in life is to run after as many pleasurable experiences as you can and avoid as much pain as you can, you're going to be always on the run, <laughs> never at rest, never at peace, because you're always going to have to be moving things around in order to get to that place. And then when you get to that place, it lasts for 30 seconds. And mm-hmm. then something else has come in, right? It's just like, you know, you're up in the mountains, a beautiful day, romantic day with your wife. You've got the picnic out there. It's a beautiful day. You're on the hillside. The sunshine, the wind's blowing. You pull out the sandwiches. You pull out the food. It's a beautiful day. It's a perfect day. And then the mosquito starts to buzz in your ear. <laughs> it's like you can get everything lined up, but there's always going to be some nuisance, some annoyance, some difficulty, some challenge. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that realization or that recognition is really important. Hmm. So on the opposite, what drains you? Excessive introspection. Okay. Like I think looking into yourself too much, uh, uh, not receiving grace uh, in in your life. In other words, um, you recognize a sin area. Okay, I'm angry, or I'm bitter, or I'm you know dishonest, or this or this, whatever. And you just kind of start to bore down into that. You yeah. know, oh, you know, instead of instead of saying, I am. And God, I need you, right? Yeah. I need you. So I'm coming to you right now because you're the one who says you're the friend of sinners. So I'm coming to you, right? Instead of doing that, it's kind of, oh, what a worm I am. How terrible, you know, and just kind of wallowing in that or or wallowing in, well, and I think, again, I know you all know this. Everybody, I think, in ministry knows this. One of the great killers of ministry is comparison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, oh, look down the road. They got this many people, and this is, and they baptize people, and oh, it looks, and oh, what's wrong with us? What am I doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? And so, woe is me, right? I think what drains me is excessively yeah. focusing there. And, um, you know, and, and I think, too, not, um, not living a life of balance. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that's helped me most, this is going to sound very just fleshly and silly, but uh, most weeks during COVID, I've played around a golf. Yeah. Saved me in so many ways, yeah. just mentally and just emotionally. <laughs> that's helped so much, right. just emotionally. Um for you, it may be fishing. It may be taking a hike. It may be, you know, going to a movie with your family. It may be something else. And family time is very important to to do things together, be yeah. together. But uh, having a sense of you've got a time where you really do rest. Uh, you've got a time where you really do get away. Yeah. Right? There have been times in my my life in the church when we have gone to, like, some podunk little town, you know, and it's been the best time because we just got out of town. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to get out of town. Yep. And when you get out of town, it's like, hey, there's another world out there. Yeah. Right? And I think if it were possible, I think something that, that could be helpful is actually to go to other churches. And whenever we go on vacation, we tend to go to church unless there's some yeah. reason we can't. And I think 
recommend that to everybody. When you go on vacation, don't stop going to church. You're still a Christian. (laughs) You should worship with somebody, right? I mean, so go go find some place, go worship. Those times can be very encouraging too. If you if you're not playing the comparison game, right? Well, one time I was on vacation, I went to a service and uh, got to the end of the service and. uh, my son, my oldest son, Jeremy, came to me and said, Dad, he was better than you. <laughs> I was like, well, thanks a lot, man. But but anyway, you know, I mean, that's okay. That's yeah. good. I want people better than me out there because that means the gospel's being preached and God's going to work. So, you know, but but in, in the moment, we don't always feel that way. Yeah. I mean, but we really, I think we really want to aim to get to the point where we can say that we really do rejoice with those who rejoice yeah. and we weep with those who weep. But that's something we all always have mm-hmm. to fight, I think. All right, more rapid fire. This is really rapid fire, isn't this, it? Really these are going to go quick. So first thing <laughs> right. that come to your mind, all right. favorite month of the year. October. Okay. Obviously. Not just birthday, but the <laughs> time. I love the weather. The weather's yeah, me so too. nice. Describe Rob using one word. Energetic. Okay. The man goes on a vacation like the day after he gets back from Yeah, camp. I I'm think like, he's what crazy. What is that? How can you do that? At least you didn't say eccentric. <laughs> yeah, I, I say energetic would, would be higher than that. I, and, and to have the energy he has at, at his advanced age is particularly impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The whole going to youth, or vacation after youth camp. Yeah, man. I was like, wow. Yeah. Both those Kalers have more energy than I have in my whole body in there. All right. Fingers. Spicy or sour? I go spicy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Definitely. Favorite ballpark food? Mm, it's got to be made well. I'll go with the pretzel. If the pretzel's mm. made well, that's hard to beat. I just love to be in a ballpark again. Favorite city? And take that however you want. If you want to go to it, you've been there. I've been there once. I would love to go back. I would say Rome. Mm. Rome was really wonderful. That'd be cool. All right, last one I've got. Favorite 80s or 90s Christian artist or band? (laughs) Most people won't know who this is, I think. Phil Kagey. Guitar player. Never heard of him. Guitar player. (laughs) Had to look him up. Very good. Very good. Good albums. Phil Kagey. All right. My man. Phil Kagey over Rich Mullen. I like Rich Mullins too. Yeah, he's good. There's a lot of good ones back then. Can't, can't, Some legends. <laughs> Don't miss out on your English so, Christian music. Well, now here's another thing, Scott. You and I could go on a, a discussion of Christian bands, artists from '70s and '80s, and Kyle could just sit over there like I, I have I nothing. Know it, that's for sure. I could only keep up from my time at Lifeway with people coming in and asking for CDs, but. At a certain point, you'd lose me. It's really I, funny, though, I'll tell you. I know a lot of music from the 70s and 80s, just secular music, yeah, too, yeah. just non-Christian. But when when I went to Columbia Bible College, they were they had a, quite a few rules, you know, a rule book and stuff. So you're, like, supposed to really be careful about what you listen to and stuff. And I think there's some wisdom in that. And, of course, it can always become legalism, so you got to be careful. But, yeah. but there's some wisdom in that. So, like, I, I was watching one time on YouTube, I was watching this video, and it was, like, the top song of every year from uh, 1960 to 2000 or something yeah. like that. So, like, from 1960... On, even though I wasn't even born yet, I would like know almost every one of them right away. When they got to like 1989, when I started at CIU, I didn't know anything. That's <laughs> like, okay, that's when my that's when my knowledge of music died right the there. I years. forgot that, but but that's okay. There's some good to that too. So, 
I probably don't need to let my mind be occupied with uh, the lyrics to Funky Town or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's like it's probably a better use of time to, to, to know other stuff. So, All right. I don't know how to end on that one. The fact that Scott knows the lyrics to Funky Town. Just end with the, with end the little bar, a few bars of Funky there Town. You go. That's how we should close it yeah, out. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or we can end with you singing it and we'll just well, end that. Well, yeah. <laughs> That would, no. that would that would sink your listeners from from uh, from few to none. I don't know yeah. how many are listening, but, few. but how okay. many there are, it's it's good. Last thing, I'm getting I'm with your prediction. Not only is it your birthday, but your Braves are in the NLCS today. Mm. Do they take the Dodgers? I have Kyle, a, you can chime in too. You can put your thoughts. I have more hope than I have had. But the Dodgers are very, very good. It's going to be yeah. tough. I think they probably would not be favored. I would say it's more likely going to be a six-game type series. But I actually do have hope that they could possibly win it. The last couple of years where they've been in the playoffs, I've just hoped for them to get through the first round because I felt like they would lose the second round, you know, because of the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, and the first year they made it, I was just hoping they'd win a game or two, you know. And they did win one, so. Um, but but this year, you know, I think they've got a chance. I would give them a, a 70-30 maybe, something like that. Yeah, I like I, those odds. I actually like the Braves' chances because I think the Braves have a better pitching staff, even though they're younger. They have a better pitching staff than the Dodgers. Yeah, the Dodgers is- obviously have more of an offensive threat. But Kershaw cannot beat the Braves. Well, he struggles against the Braves. Tonight will be really important. The Braves have been on a roll. They've won five in a row in the playoffs. So I think if they win tonight, that's huge, you know, because their confidence level is going to continue to be high. So And Bueller's a very good pitcher, too. So if they can beat him, that gives them a, a, an inside track. I just wonder in a seven-game series if their starting pitching is going to be enough because – you know, they've really only got three guys they can depend on, and, and two of those are unknown, really. They've not pitched much. so Big they, stages. Uh, you know, they've done well to make it as far as they have, and uh, I hope they can make it through. Who's the in the ALCS? Series. The Yankees? and Tampa Bay and Houston. Yeah, Tampa and, Bay and Houston. Yeah. Wow. So my, my thoughts on this, the NLCS is basically the mm-hmm. World Series. I agree. I think nobody cares that about Tampa Bay or Houston. Team. Yeah. Nobody Tampa cares, but, yeah, but how I, cool would it be if Tampa wins I think, it all? I think they've got a shot. They won the first game, and, and I think they're very, very good. Um, but they, you know, I think whoever wins the NLCS will probably be favored in the World Series, yeah. and or at least they should be. And um, so, If Houston you know. wins, that's 2020 in a nutshell. I mean, <laughs> seriously, like if the Astros win after all this talk all offseason yeah. about cheating – that would be 2020 <laughs> in a nutshell. True. There you go. I, yes, I don't want Houston to win it, but that's Nobody the does. Point. Nobody does. I think it's interesting, though. You have National League East and American League East and a National League West and American League West. Mm-hmm. What does that say about the National League and American League Central? <laughs> they were pretty weak, weren't they? Yeah. And I think that's so, true in both cases. They had some real weaknesses. Should be a good series, though. Well, Scott, I, I won't be able to watch it, though, honestly. I, I really won't. I won't watch it till it's over. I just can't do it. It makes me nervous. <laughs> I can listen to it on the radio, but I don't like to watch it. I've seen the Braves choke too many times, and uh, 
I have trouble with that. So, Lonnie Smith is not on this team, so they should do well. Yeah. They should do well. The Dodgers have one of the biggest choke artists, though, out there. And I love him to death, but Kershaw just never been able to. I was work. looking at something. The farther along he gets in the playoffs, the worse he does. I know. So maybe that will hold true this time. And I'm not a big fan of Seeger. Why? He's from Charlotte. <laughs> uh, I just I don't know something about the way he plays the game. I'm I'm not a fan of him, and I just don't. So see you must the, really love Acuna then. <laughs> I just I just I just don't want to see the Dodgers win because of Mookie, but I want to see them win because of Clayton. You're torn. Yeah. Well, I think. It'd but be, if it comes down between them and the Braves, I'm choosing the Braves. So. Yeah, I think it'd be nice for some of the Braves that have been around for a while to have a chance to play in the World Series. You know, so Freddie Freeman Freddie deserves Freeman. that. Yeah. So that'd be good. So it'll be good. It'll be interesting. Well, Scott, thank you for taking yes. a few yeah. minutes out of your a time few to. I think good we've been stuff. here for a, a while because of my yeah. rambling. I'm sorry about that. No, that's no. the beauty of podcasts is it's no. long form. It's yes. And it's it's been very good, been very informative and yeah. insightful. Thank you. So, Colin, I both want to say not only thank you for being here today, but also thank you for being serving in the ministry for what you do for the Lord, what you do for your church, uh, what you do for me and my family. So I thank you for that. And it's hard to believe 14 years we've, we've been together. Mm -hmm. That, that, that blows my mind every single day that I have that opportunity and Lord willing, I hope that will continue. Have you ever wanted to fire him? Don't answer that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think that the, um, the issue of being here a long time is interesting because I, on one level, it feels like it was like yesterday, but on another level, I don't feel like I've ever done anything else. Wow. You know, yeah. I can't remember what it was like to do anything else. Yeah. really genuinely right. can't. And yet it seems like it's flown by to you. Huh. Like it shouldn't be that many years. And the good thing, and I, you, you kind of said some of this about loving other people. <laughs> If I look back over 14 years, and obviously you're 15, I'm thankful that I have better memories of those that we've loved well than those that we've disagreed with or those small hiccups that we've experienced along the way. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, those small hiccups didn't define who we were or what we were doing. Mm. I'm thankful for that. I'll use those hiccups. Maybe teachers, he's taught me for those. Mm-hmm. A lot of times. A lot of them. So, just want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for thank you coming and being a part yeah. of it. So, until next time. Keep it caffeinated, friends. <laughs>